You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Elfie Scott. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. And just a note, this episode talks about sexual assault, so please use caution when listening. If you or anybody you know needs help, please call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. Or dial triple zero in an emergency. Sexual assault is being revealed as a huge problem in hospitals, and female doctors are starting to speak out about it. Earlier this month, a major analysis of the National Health Service in the UK revealed that there are widespread patterns of female surgeons being sexually harassed, assaulted, and in some cases raped by male colleagues in hospitals. One third of female surgeons in the UK said that they'd been sexually assaulted by colleagues in the past five years. They also reported fearing that reporting those incidents will damage their careers and that little will come of workplace investigations. Now, Australian doctors are starting to speak up too. Female doctors are telling stories about sexual assault in the workplace and the systemic failures that are leaving them vulnerable. So is this the Me Too moment for Australian medicine? And what needs to happen now to try and ensure that female doctors are safe in the workplace? But first, your news headlines for Wednesday, September 27th. Victoria could see its first female premiere in more than three decades after the resignation of long-term leader Dan Andrews. Mr Andrews is set to hand over the reins on Wednesday to Deputy Jacinta Allen and give up his seat of Musgrave after announcing his decision to step down at a press conference yesterday afternoon. Allen is expected to be picked for the top job at a Labor caucus meeting on Wednesday, which will make her the state's first female premier since Joan Kerner stepped down in 1992. However, Allen will be inheriting a tricky position with a high amount of state debt and large social and economic challenges. Theatre actor Christy Whelan-Brown is seeking millions of dollars in damages from the theatrical company behind the 2014 Rocky Horror Show production, who she alleges ignored her claims of sexual harassment and abuse. Whelan-Brown is pursuing Oldfield Entertainment in a federal court case, alleging that she was ignored after making complaints about the behaviour of fellow cast member Craig McLaughlin. Whelan Brown played the lead role of Janet in the musical comedy and claims that Oldfield ignored her complaints and failed to provide a safe working environment, resulting in physical and mental injury. Whelan Brown is seeking $1.5 million in damages plus $500,000 in aggravated damages, saying that Oldfield's conduct both in response to complaints and later in media subjected her to distress, anxiety and embarrassment. In 2020, McLaughlin was cleared of criminal charges that he indecently assaulted four women during the production and he has denied any wrongdoing. An inquiry today will hear how the rental industry is accumulating huge amounts of personal data on home buyers, renters and people looking to inspect homes. A parliamentary committee examining the nation's rental crisis will hear on Wednesday that real estate is one of the most data-invasive industries 
and two-thirds of renters are uncomfortable with being forced to upload sensitive information like driver's licenses, passports and birth certificates to third-party sites. Not only does this put renters' privacy and digital security at risk, the committee will hear that it can exacerbate pre-existing issues in the rental market like accessibility, fairness and a power imbalance between renters and landlords. The Parliamentary Committee will hear from renters' associations, think tanks, homelessness organisations and property owners' groups in the coming days to try and address the impact of Australia's rental crisis. Indigenous activist and spearhead of the Yes campaign, Noel Pearson, will address the nation at the National Press Club on Wednesday to make the case for a constitutionally enshrined advisory body. Supporters of the Voice to Parliament have just over two weeks to turn negative polling around and convince a majority of Australians in a majority of states to vote yes in the referendum to establish an Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Mr Pearson has been campaigning around the country and has underlined the power of the Voice to tackle problems like health issues among Indigenous Australians. He said it was heartbreaking to visit schools and see young Indigenous students suffering from conditions like heart disease, and has stressed that the voice could bring issues like health impacts into the national dialogue. And US regulators and 17 US states have sued Amazon, alleging that the company is inflating online prices and stifling competition. The US Federal Trade Commission has filed the antitrust lawsuit against Amazon.com, charging the online retailer with harming consumers with higher prices. There have been years of complaints that Amazon.com and other tech giants have abused their dominance on the internet to shut down fair competition and overcharge consumers. FTC Chair Lena Khan said that Amazon has used illegal tactics to fend off companies that would have risen to challenge its monopoly. The lawsuit follows a four-year investigation and federal lawsuits filed against Alphabet's Google and Meta Platform's Facebook. That's your latest news headlines. In a moment, today's deep dive into sexual assault in healthcare and why doctors are so vulnerable in the workplace. Earlier this month, the largest survey into sexual assault in the UK's National Health Service was published and showed some shocking statistics about what female doctors are experiencing at work. The survey of female surgeons found that sexual misconduct was rife in the UK's medical system, with over two-thirds of women working in surgery reporting having been sexually harassed by a colleague in or around the operating theatre. Among the 1,400 participants surveyed, the study also found 11 allegations of rape. And yet, because victim survivors were concerned about the ramifications for their careers and they lacked faith that any serious action would be taken by institutions, the vast majority of these cases went unreported. The researchers pointed out that sexual misconduct seems to happen frequently and go unchecked due to the deep hierarchical structure in medicine as well as a gender and power imbalance. The report has now been referred to as a Me Too movement for surgery in the UK. But the movement is also happening here in Australia, with more female doctors speaking out about sexual harassment and assault in their workplaces. Last week, Dr Dominique Lee, a radiation oncologist, revealed herself as the young doctor who had been drugged and indecently assaulted by Dr John Kearsley. Lee was assaulted by Kearsley in 2013 when he invited her over for dinner and then drugged her with benzodiazepines. Kearsley pled guilty to the assault in 2016 and was sentenced to two years in prison, 
but he walked free nine months later after judges in the Court of Criminal Appeal took into account his contribution to medicine before he committed the assault. To this day, Lee is the only junior doctor who has successfully prosecuted a senior doctor in the Australian criminal justice system. Australian doctors are also speaking out more candidly now about the kind of work culture that leads to these extreme figures of sexual misconduct in medicine. Earlier this month, Dr Yumiko Kudota, who wrote the memoir Emotional Female, focusing on her experience of the toxic culture in medicine, spoke out on social media about being sexually assaulted by an oncologist as a 19-year-old medical student. Kudota said that there is something seriously wrong in the profession that allows sexual assaults to occur and that all workers deserve an environment that is physically and psychologically safe. Following the publication of the research about the NHS, the Times newspaper in the UK published a letter by a retired anaesthetist who claimed that medical training and practice is brutal and demanding and sexually inappropriate comments and actions do occur and that people who want to be successful in medical careers simply need to toughen up. Kadota also called out this commentary saying that sexually inappropriate behaviour has been normalised by a boys' club in surgery and that even the reported figures from the UK are probably an underestimation. Now there is a movement in Australia to take these allegations seriously and change the culture in healthcare to prevent assaults. Dr Louise Stone is an associate professor at the Australian National University and will host the first Australasian Summit on Sexual Harassment in Medicine next month, which will bring together representatives from healthcare to try and come up with solutions. Dr Stone, this has been referred to as a kind of open secret in medicine. Have you been hearing these reports for a long time? Yeah, I think medicine's no different to any other workplace, to be honest. You know, we know that workplace sexual harassment is running at about 33% and it's the same in medicine. I think the difference with medicine is that it's quite hard to imagine medicine in that way. It's hard to imagine that these things happen in the cold, hard light of day in a hospital. And I also think that medicine, like many of the other professions, like the military and law and politics, it relies on hierarchy. So junior doctors rely on their seniors to progress. And when you've got a workplace like that, it tends to be very silent. What kind of stories have you heard about through your research? So I got interested in this area when I looked after an intern who'd been assaulted while going to the car park after a night shift back in 2014. And because I do a lot of mental health work and have throughout my career, it was unusual that that consultation was very, very difficult. There was so much shame in the room. And I realised afterwards it wasn't surprising because he was a doctor and she was a doctor and I'm a doctor. So she was having to seek help in the same profession that caused harm. And that's what makes medicine a little bit different. We deal with trauma all the time and these young doctors are having to seek help within the profession. And there's a few other things that were interesting in that we have mandatory reporting obligations. So any doctors who come to me with any concerns about their mental health, worry that they might get reported to APRA, our medical board, about that. So that's another way to keep silent. But there's a range. In the study that was done with surgeons in the UK, they say that 0.8% of women surgeons have experienced rape from colleagues. 
And of course, like any other form of sexual harassment, we have the entire range from rape to comments, to stalking, to inappropriate touch. I think one classic example I used in my research was a young doctor who was suturing a wound. So she's standing in front of the patient and the patient was awake and her senior colleague was behind her, touching her inappropriately while she was suturing. And in that circumstance, she did what most doctors do, which is protect the patient. The first thing you concentrate on, of course, is trying to protect the patient. And so she said nothing. And that's not, I guess, an unusual story to hear. Does this experience of sexual assault and harassment start early on in women's medical careers? Yes, it does. And again, it happens in all industries. But for us, the closest statistics I've got for medical students is that around 14% of medical students experience sexual harassment in a year. That was the study done in Australia. And when you look at some of the surveys, it's about 33% around the world. So this happens everywhere. But the studies that have been done in Australia, well, we know it's higher in women and There was one study done in New South Wales that said that for women doctors, it was about 55%. And for women in training, it was 60%. So, you know, it is quite unfortunately common. Can you explain to me the boys club culture in medicine and how it affects women who are pursuing careers as doctors? Look, it varies. Some of the disciplines in medicine have more women than men. Obstetrics now graduates more women than men. My field, general practice, graduates more women than men. But there are pockets where men are overwhelmingly more likely to be in the industry. Orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, there's a number of industries where it's more likely. But medicine has a history, of course, a long history of being a boys club. It's not that it's particularly worse now, it's always been the same. And I think you find any hierarchical discipline, law, military, politics, I think it's very similar to all of those. The funny thing about medicine is one of the things we learn very early is that to protect ourselves from the trauma that we see every day, you know, there'll be days when every single patient that I see is a survivor of childhood abuse. My colleagues in accident and emergency see terrible things. You don't survive that in medicine without learning to put trauma to one side and getting on with it. Young doctors have learned that skill. And so when the trauma happens to them, their natural reaction is to set the trauma aside and get on with it. It's not just that they worry about their careers, although they do, or that they worry about what will be said about them, although they do. It's also, I think, that it's a subconscious thing as well. You're saying that there's this unconscious feeling that people shouldn't speak up about these issues. But then there was also that letter published in The Times from a male anaesthetist saying that people should just toughen up. So are female doctors receiving these messages pretty explicitly as well from colleagues? It varies. And I think there's a few things to say here. The first is, if you're a perpetrator... What disciplines are you going to pick? You're going to pick things with power, right? So the perpetrators in our community that we will never eradicate, they will pick law, politics, the military, medicine, because they're powerful positions. We also know that many perpetrators are very good at looking like everybody else. 
So when we look at the Dominique Lee case of John Kearsley, he was a very well-loved radiation oncologist that everyone thought was marvellous. And let's be honest, he was marvellous. He made a big difference to a lot of people's lives. In fact, even after he pleaded guilty of sexually assaulting Dominique Lee, there was a 100 testimonials saying what a wonderful man he was in court. I think we find it very difficult to see both sides of that coin. I think the second thing to say is that there are many, many men in the industry who are extraordinary champions. Has there ever been any major action in Australia to try and address these issues? There's been a lot of action. And the reason that I'm running this summit, so I'm bringing together 150 leaders from every organisation that gets involved in medicine from around the country and from New Zealand and the UK. And the reason we're doing that is because we've done a lot of things around the country, but the reality is it doesn't seem to be working as well as we would like. There's good policies. There's good frameworks. People don't report. When they do report, it doesn't get through the systems. And we should be good at this. I mean, you know, if medicine can't fix it, well, who can? I'm pretty proud that medicine has said what we're trying to do here isn't working. Let's come together and work out why. We're keen to do the research, which we're good at. It's part of our job to try and work out why that isn't working. The reality is we know it's happening. The question is we really don't know what we need to do to change culture. It's not a small thing. And it's not just Australia. There have been extraordinary attempts in America, in Germany. There's been some extraordinary work and we're still in the same position. So I think it takes intelligence and thought and an awful lot of working together to try and work out what we're going to do here in order to change. The Quickie is produced by myself, Elfie Scott, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. Tom Lyon.